Well, hello everyone. Ah, we made it. Look at that. You made it. We are out of 2020 and in 2021. Somebody just say praise the Lord. Somebody say thank you, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I needed that moment and you probably needed that moment as well. Welcome to Sandals Church Online version 2021. We are so glad that you are here and we believe that this truly will be the best year yet that God has for us. If you're new, welcome. Please let us know by texting the number one in the chat or you can always go to sandalshirts.com slash next and we would love to connect with you. This past year, for so many, was the loneliest year ever and you right now might be watching this service alone. Well, the best thing that actually cures loneliness is community and we all need it. This year, we would love for you to join a community group or even make this the best experience possible by becoming a Sandals Church Anywhere location. All you do is visit sandalschurch.com anywhere, let us know, and then invite a few friends to your home and we will do the rest. I love to sing. And right now I get to sing to the Lord with all of you. Let's join together with our collective voices lifted high to our awesome God. Let's sing. God, we choose to fix our eyes on you. The beginning of this new year, God, we declare it as yours, that you are king, that you reign, that you are seated on the throne as the God who reigns, as the God who does great things. We love you, Jesus, and we worship you. ourselves see what our savior has done see how his love overcomes he has done great things god you do great things let's sing this together oh hero of heaven
thanks so much for singing and worshiping with us. If you have young kids, they can sing and hear a message that is just for them. Parents, you can actually help your kids watch at kids.sandalschurch.tv. For our middle and high schoolers, we hope that they will join you now as you watch the service, but later on, they can go to our Sandals Church youth channel on YouTube. While he is clearly no stranger to the church, to Sandals Church, in fact, he is one of our campus pastors. I am so excited to hear from our Palm Avenue campus pastor, Pastor Fredo Ramos, as he begins our new series, Win in Rome, which starts right now. What's good, Sandals Church, and Happy New Year. It is an honor to be with you. And listen, as we begin this new year, we as a church are also starting a brand new series. And we're going through the book of Romans. And it's going to take some time, so we'll be here for a hot minute, so buckle in. But listen, the book of Romans is probably the most important book the Apostle Paul ever wrote. It's maybe the most preached on book of the Bible, the most talked about, the most uh, poured over ink by scholars and academics. Man, this book has it all. And it's changed people's lives over the course of so many years. And we believe it's gonna change us as a church as well. And the reason is, is because Romans is deep. There's a lot in this book. You can discover God in this book. You can discover Jesus for the first time, understand the gospel, understand what it means to be a Christian. Everything is in the book of Romans. It can change us. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 30 seconds or 30 years, we need, you need the book of Romans. It can change us. In fact, there's two people in particular that I'm thinking about over the course of history that it changed. And if I were to ask you what a man who was addicted to women and a man who was addicted to religion have in common, it's this. They were both changed by the book of Romans. The first was whom we know as St. Augustine, maybe the most important Christian thinker and writer of all time. He was an African man and he was a bishop in North Africa. But before that, before the kind of the well-known St. Augustine that many of us know, he was a young man who according to his own words was a promiscuous man. He liked women. But the most important woman in his life was actually his mom. And it was his mom who prayed for him constantly that he would finally leave his life of pleasure, leave his life of sin and begin to follow Jesus. And God answered that prayer. And at the age of 29, Augustine began to wrestle as a young man. And it was when his eyes fell on Romans 13 that he was forever changed. Now fast forward a few hundred years after that, someone who was addicted not to women, but the complete opposite, addicted to religion, was this German monk named Martin Luther. And he was not just over pleasure, but he was over God. He was over religion. He came to a point in his life where he felt like he could never do enough or be enough until it was the moment where his eyes fell upon Romans 1, 16 and 17, that the just shall live by faith. And he was changed forever. Now, what you need to understand is that these two individuals couldn't be more unlike each other. And yet they were both changed by the same exact book. And so whether you, you kind of identify more with Augustine or more like Luther, this book is for you. Because listen, this book forever changed those two men and those two men have forever changed Christians for all time. And we hope and pray that this book can change us as well. Because if there's anything that we need moving into this new year, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, it's change. We need to experience something new in our lives. And so let's read together from Romans chapter one, and then I'll pray for us. Paul says this, beginning in verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, 
who was a descendant of David according to the flesh and was appointed to be the powerful son of God according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the Gentiles, including you, who are also called by Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we recognize right now that you are here with us. And I ask God that you would now speak to us from your word. And in speaking to us, would you help us to understand and see the beauty of the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's amazing how often we can easily forget the value of everyday things in our lives. If there's anything that last year taught us, it was that, the value of everyday things in our lives, man. We just sometimes have no idea what we had until we're either on the verge of losing it or have already lost it. We just don't realize the value of the everyday things. You know, a few weeks ago, my wife and I made the decision to paint our home and uh, we were going through this process. We got a nice, cute little home, but it, it definitely needed some TLC. And so we had someone come over and paint it. And as they were painting it, my neighbor came out and we're kind of just watching them paint, talking a little bit. And he looks at the chimney that we had painted. And he says, you know what? I was actually here the day that the brick was laid around your chimney. He's like, that new paint looks nice. It's a nice touch up. And then he began to talk about how the previous owner of the home we now live in laid tile. And so he says, you know, throughout your house, you'll find all this tile. And he's like, do you still got the tile in the hallway and the bathrooms? I'm like, yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, man, you're the previous owner. You know, he laid all that. That's what he did as a, as a profession. So he was good at just kind of bringing things home and, and laying tile. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Like, I don't know anything about tile, but that sounds great. And then at one point he says, hey, how about the tile in your backyard? It's like a terracotta tile. And I'm like, yeah we, yeah, we still got that too. It's in the back. He's like, yeah, I remember when he laid that. And in my head, I'm thinking, man, Ash and I just talked about how we want to get rid of that tile. And he says, you know what? There's something cool about that tile. He says, my oldest son used to work at Disneyland. And the day that he was uh, working there was also the same day that they were designing the Little Mermaid ride. And they happened to make some changes. And so my son took some of that tile home from the Little Mermaid ride. And he gave it to the homeowner of the house you now live in. And because he laid tile, he gave it to him. And the previous homeowner put it in his backyard. And my mind was just blown right there in that instance. The same tile that's in the Little Mermaid ride is in our backyard. I had no idea. I had no idea. I did not realize at all what was in our backyard. In fact, like I said, Ash and I were thinking about getting rid of it. We were thinking about changing everything up. And so immediately, man, I, I run out to do some errands. I call Ash. I was like, Ash, you're never going to believe what's in our backyard. We got tile from Disneyland. And of all things, a little mermaid ride. Our daughter loves that ride. I mean, every day she wants to be Ariel and just go under the sea. She loves the little mermaid. And we were amazed, man, that the very tile that we stand on almost every day, we had no idea of the value. We did not realize what was actually there. We didn't realize what we had been standing on the whole time. Tile from Disneyland blew us away. Now every day I go out and I look at that tile. I love looking at that tile. I never looked at tile in my life before. And I like looking at that tile. And I think the same is true about the gospel. We have no idea what we're standing on. We don't realize what is there in the good news. And so we need Roman, as you're taking notes, we need Romans because we need the gospel. I want you to consider just for a moment that the greatest need you have in 2021 is the good news. It's the gospel. And if you've been a Christian for a while, I don't want you to just ask yourself, well, yeah, I used to believe in the gospel, but to ask yourself, do you believe in the gospel today? Do you believe in the good news today? And if you do, do you realize what it is that you have in the good news? It's so often, so easy for us 
to lose sight of the value of it. Do you believe it today? Because it is in fact the greatest thing that we need going into the new year is the good news of Jesus. And what is this good news? This good news is that in the very beginning, God, God who was full of love, full of life and full of light made everything made everything out of his relationship to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And life and light and love all came from him. But unfortunately, when you and I look at the world today, we don't see a lot of light, we see a lot of darkness. We don't see a lot of love, we see more disconnection. And we certainly don't see a lot of life, we see a lot of death. And that's because what happens when you turn from life is that you get death. When you turn from love, you get disconnection. When you turn from light, you end up in darkness. But what does love do? What does the good news say that God did? God, in his love, gave us his son, Jesus, who is willing to say, when you end up in darkness, I'll go with you in darkness. Your life will become my life. Your disconnection will become my disconnection. And the death that you experience will be the death that I experience. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus, someone who was willing to surrender it all and on the cross, take the punishment for our sins. Your death, my death became his. Our darkness became his. Our disconnection became his. But he rose from the dead. He conquered those things. He defeated it for us so that we can now once again understand what it means to live in his life, to embrace his love, and to walk in light as he is in the light. This is the good news of the gospel. And what's even greater is that when we think about what Jesus did for us, we realize that while he was on the cross, he was being treated as if he did everything wrong that you and I did. So that in exchange, we can be treated as if we did everything Jesus did. It is this wonderful exchange in which we are embraced and accepted by God. That is the good news of the gospel. Do you realize how much you need that? Because out of the gospel, it says a few things about us. And the first thing I want us to note is that the gospel says, listen now, the work of God is enough. You have nothing to prove. Notice the first verse there. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle and set apart for the gospel. Now, what is common about this greeting is that Paul wrote a lot of his letters like this. He began with this kind of initial greeting to the church. He would say, hey, I'm Paul. You know who I am. I planted you, right? Because that's generally what had happened. As Paul traveled the world after he became a Christian, he planted churches wherever he went. And oftentimes he would teach to them and explain to them who God was and what he had done for them in Jesus and how their lives were now to look different than before, but not so with the book of Romans. Paul actually never planted this church. He had never been to Rome either. Someone else did. It's amazing to think about that Romans, man, the, the people of Rome lived in an empire that is much like ours, and yet churches were planted. Even in a culture that seemed like, man, everyone was so lost and there's so many different religions and, man, there's so much going on and yet churches were planted there and not even by Paul. We don't even know the names of the individuals who planted these churches, which should tell all of us right off the bat that you can do amazing things for God and no one needs to know your name. You have nothing to prove. And Paul writes this letter. He begins this letter by greeting them in this way. Notice, though, that he doesn't call on any of his own credentials. He calls himself a servant of Christ. In the Greek, it means a bondservant, a slave. He's a slave of Christ Jesus, called an apostle. Now, he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. So to the Jews, he could have said, man, listen, I'm the, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews born from the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. He is a Jewish scholar, a rabbi in and of himself. To the Gentiles, to the Romans, he could have said, listen, I'm a Roman citizen just like you. You should listen to me. Because again, he's wanting them to listen to him, to consider him to be an authority in their life. Yet he doesn't take that route. 
he is willing to say, I'm a servant of Christ. In other words, what God has done in his life is doing something inside of him that is freeing him up from the need to prove himself to people. So much so that he's willing to say his whole life is set apart for the gospel. In other words, he's separated from every other kind of identity and he is defined solely by this. He is defined by the good news of Jesus. The most distinguishable quality about his life is the gospel. Can we say that about ourselves? In 2021, what will you be set apart for? You see, we, we have so much division, even in the church, that I think a lot of us feel like as we enter into this new year, the same old problems are going to be around. And so many of us operate in, and walk up to each other and operate in our relationships as if we have something to prove to each other, when really we don't. If the work of God is enough, which it is, you have nothing to prove to anybody. Now, for some of you listening, I know that's kind of hard to consider, but I want you to imagine that this is a better gospel than the gospel that you are hearing today because there are other forms of the good news. There is the good news. There is the gospel according to self-discovery, which is so popular today, which essentially says, man, create within yourself your own identity. Dig deep within who you are, pull out what you most want to be and create for yourself an identity and be that, validate yourself. So there is this kind of popular notion today that, man, I don't care what people think, this is who I'm gonna be. Unfortunately though, we go about telling people that we don't care what they think, but at the same time, we want them to validate us. That gospel in the end doesn't work. It doesn't help. It doesn't actually satisfy us. We need an identity we need an identity that's been given to us where we are freed from the need to prove ourselves constantly to other people. And man, Paul, he has this view. I mean, his own name, Paul, means little. Every time he writes these massive letters, he remembers for his own good that he himself is little. A servant of Christ. I want you guys to consider that man, maybe the, the mighty work of God, maybe the miracle of God in your life this new year is only blocked by one thing. That's your ego, your ego. Maybe the one thing that's holding you back from experiencing an incredible work of God in your life is yourself. You don't have a right view of yourself. But there is something about the gospel, about what Jesus has done for us, that it's enough. We have nothing to prove to anybody because you are already fully accepted by God because of Jesus. It's like having a resume that gets you your best job, your dream job, and gets you all the connections you ever wanted. That's what it means to have the work of Jesus placed on you. You already got the best resume. Every door is open for you. You are already fully accepted by the only one who ultimately matters. You have nothing to prove to anybody else. The second thing, though, that we should also notice is that the gospel says the promises of God are reliable. You can trust them. Notice Paul says there that he is set apart for the gospel, which he promised, the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, for Paul, this gospel began first in the Old Testament. It is good news, but it's not something that is new in and of itself. This good news is actually pretty old. It's something that God has been promising from the very beginning which already kind of cuts against this idea that the God of the Old Testament seems to be so different than the God of the New Testament, who is full of love and gentleness and compassion. And yet in the Old Testament, it seems as though God is so angry and upset all the time and can't wait to pour out judgment and wrath. And yet Jesus seems so loving. No. As you actually allow the scriptures to speak to you, you begin to see that the good news of God's love for you has been something he's been talking about the entire time, the entire time. 
And it says it was promised through the prophets. Now here's, here's what I need us to consider for a second. When you read through some of the prophets of the Old Testament, you realize that there's some dark things going on. The people seem very disinterested in God and interested in everything else but him. And yet God continues to speak to his people through the prophets, reminding them that he is a God who is faithful to keep his word. Now, I think that's going to be one of the most challenging things for us moving forward in this year is to actually trust the words of God. Because we find ourselves living in an age today where so many people are offering their words, so many people are offering their promises, and we just don't trust them. It's so natural for us to be just skeptical of what it is that you say, even as a person of authority. Is that really the truth? Can I actually trust you? Are your promises reliable? Because at the end of the day, we all kind of just skeptically look through what they're saying and wonder, man, what's their agenda? What's their bias? But you see, the agenda and bias of God is ultimately love, not anything else. Not power, not abuse. God's agenda is love. Love for people like you and me. Which means we can trust his promises. In fact, the Bible says that God is faithful even when we are faithless because he cannot deny himself. In other words, it's not even in the character of God to be faithless. He can't do it. He can't be anything but faithful. He can't be anything but a promise-keeping God. And that is what the gospel is. It is the fulfillment of all of God's promises in Jesus Christ for us. The second issue, though, with promises is not just so much the the time and the age that we're living in, but just our understanding of time in and of itself. Man, we are people that just really struggle with time and controlling it. Because I think if you're a Christian here, even a non-Christian today, you're listening and watching, You would be okay with a God out there keeping his promises. But the problem that we all have at the end of the day, whether you follow Jesus or not, is that we want to control when we receive promises. The promises are great, but when they come is it. But you see, we got to understand that time, especially from God's perspective, is a relative thing. Because time, even for us as people, is a relative thing. Man, I can remember uh, the day that my wife and I actually got married. It was nine years ago. This year we'll be going on 10. But nine years ago, it was an incredible day. Now, as a Hispanic, though, we both understood that when the wedding would start would be a pretty interesting situation. Now, we sent out invitations about where it was going to be, the day it was going to be, and the time it was going to start. But you got to understand, some people in my family and some of our friends They see that invitation. They see the time that's clearly stated on the card. And they say, all right, well, I guess it's going to start at this time. But then you have others who receive the invitation, same invitation, same information on that invitation. And they see the time and they're like, well, eh, we'll see. But here's the thing. Time is a relative thing. Because to be on time for some means, well, I'm on time because everyone else is here. So the wedding will start when everyone's here. For others, though, well, no, to be on time means the wedding will start when it says it's going to start. And so the day of the wedding, you had half the people there like, man, we're waiting 30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, but not some of our other family because they know when things actually start is when everyone is there and everyone's on time. That's what it means, especially for a lot of Hispanics. I'm never late. I'm on time. We're here. What do you mean we're late? It's going to start. Why? Because we are here. Now, if that's true for us, how much more true is that for God? And that's probably why I think a lot of us struggle with his promises. It's because they seem so untimely. But yet for us to consider that they were given to us, even through the prophets, even during a time when life seemed like it was so far away from God, that is actually when we actually get the best glimpse of his promises. It's not when things are going well. It's not when you have been obedient. Oftentimes, God is demonstrating his faithfulness in the darkness, when there's separation. You see, the gap between the Old and the New Testament is a hundred to a few hundred years, which means the closing prophet Malachi 
closes his book with a word of hope, and yet right after that, we go into just years of darkness. No words from God. Easy to think he's not keeping his promises. Easy to think he's not on time. But he was. He was fulfilling everything he said he was going to do in his son, Jesus. It's not so much that we don't want his promises. It's that we want to control when we get them. And if we are going to really become a people of the promise, we are going to need to release the need to control outcomes in our lives. And to know that if God has given us his son, then we can trust him. He is reliable to give us everything else we need. Notice what it says there in Romans 15, 4. Paul talking about the scriptures. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. In other words, the Bible, the scriptures, was written for our good, was written for our hope. So as we engage the word, it is to create hope within us. As we realize these are the promises of God given to the people of God. We're people of the promise. And the promises of God should determine the pace of his people. You should walk differently because you rely on the promises of God. You should talk differently because you rely on the promises of God and not everyone else. You see, when we bank our lives, or as Proverbs 3 says, we lean not on our own understanding, but fully acknowledge him in all of our ways. When you do that, you are resting your life on the promises of God. And it creates a counterculture. It creates a path in which you follow Jesus in a way that looks so different than the world around you. Because your life is banked on stand upon the promises of God and nothing else. And as we move into this new year, we should hear this word, that the gospel reminds us that all that was taken from us last year cannot be more than what God promises to us. What was taken from us cannot be more than what was given to us in the promises of God simply can't be. Thirdly, though, the gospel also says that the love of God is free. You can obey without fear. Look what it says there in Romans 1, 7. To all who are in Rome, loved by God, called the saints. To all who are in Rome, loved by God. The primary way that Paul wants to identify these churches in Rome is that they are loved by God. As we read this today and hear the Holy Spirit talk to us, we can switch out Rome and put in Sandals Church. To all in Sandals Church, loved by God. Now I want us to consider a little bit when Paul was writing this, He was writing to a group of people who were both Jews and Gentiles, living in, during that time, the largest empire the world had ever seen. Rome was the center of human existence. If you wanted to see the best art, you went to Rome. The best food, you went to Rome. All the best religions, you went to Rome. If you wanted to see the development and growth of the human race, you went to Rome this large, massive empire. And yet here are these little house churches, all meeting, made up of both Jews and Gentiles. But listen though, there's a problem. You see what had happened in AD 49, the emperor Claudius at the time had expelled all the Jews from the Roman empire. And history tells us that he did this because they continued to debate about this person he called Christus, which in the Greek is another way of saying Christ. In other words, the gospel was moving in this large, massive empire, this culture where everyone feels like, man, no one will really know the true God. And yet people are there debating this person, Christus. And it creates such an uproar that the Roman emperor decides just to expel all the Jews. They all leave in AD 49. And so who's left there in the church? It's the Gentiles. They're now the leaders. And so these churches move out of the synagogues and they move into homes. And you have, man, 
a few house churches with about 100 people each in these, and Paul's writing to them. But you see what happens though, Paul actually writes this letter a few years after that emperor had kicked everyone out. And so he's writing to the church when the Jews have all come back. Because in the mid fifties, that emperor died and the Jews were able to return back to live in Rome. But when they get back, their church looks different. Man, the carpet looks different. The candles look different. The music sounds different. What happened to the hymns? Also we got all these worship songs that sound like U2 songs. Jews are unhappy and the Gentiles are now in charge. And you have this conflict because you have a diverse church, people with different backgrounds, different preferences, different likes. How are they going to get along? And notice how Paul addresses them to the church at Rome loved by God. Beyond everything else that he could define them as, he says, you are loved by God. The greatest thing about you is that you are loved by God. And the only way that we're able to work through our differences and actually be a demonstration of unity in the midst of a culture in which they want to tear us apart is going to be when you and I embrace the love of God as the most important thing about our lives. You are loved by God. As you read through this book, you will discover, man, that Paul has got a lot to say, yes, about Christian truth and doctrine, but what it means to actually bring people together. That is so important for us as a church as we move into 2021 to embrace differences, to acknowledge them for what they are, because as the Jews came back in, they got new leadership that they got to follow. Everything looks different. But here's the thing, loved by God. This is how we will move forward. And here's why this kind of love is better than any other kind of love out there today, because it is unconditional. It's free to us, which means then you can obey without fear. You can obey without fear. You see, what I mean by that is if love was a conditional thing, if love was conditioned on the basis of you doing A, B, and C, then you would be fearful that if you don't do A, B, and C, you're not going to receive love. But then at the same time, you might become prideful that, oh, of course I do these things. I'm loved by God. You see, and I started to realize this in my own life the last few years. I would tell myself, Fredo, I don't want to do these things. I want to stop these sins in my life. Why? Because I love God. I want to be generous because I love God. I want to be kind because I love God. I want to maintain purity because I love God. But then I began to realize that maybe a deeper, a, a deeper power, a deeper source of strength is realizing, man, I don't need to do these things. I am free to obey. Why? Because God loves me. I started to realize that much of my sin in my life was rooted in the fact that I had forgotten how much God loves me. Now, some of us are tempted to take that and just really run with it and be like, well, of course. What you're saying then is I can do whatever I want and God's still gonna love me. But notice what Paul says. He is here to instruct and bring about the obedience of faith. In other words, as you begin to embrace what Jesus has done for you and the love of God in your life, it compels you, it changes you, it forms you so that you don't need other loves. So you don't need to pursue other things. You become a different person. And you realize that the love of God was already on you before you did anything right and before you can do anything wrong. Notice what Paul says, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While you were at your very worst, Christ died for you. God proves his love even while you were at your worst. Now, what an invitation to all who are in Rome, to all who are in Sandals Church, God loves you freely, freely. And just sit in that for a second, that there is nothing you can do right now to earn more love. And that should change you. 
and actually lead you to a life where you love to obey because you are so infatuated with how much God loves you, how much he is for you. Do you realize that you are standing on and formed by the love of God? It can do so much. We have a tendency to do a lot of things for love, and in the end, to realize we didn't receive what we thought we would. Some of you guys have made decisions in your life based on a kind of love you thought you needed at the time, and you, you feel like you're a mess, you feel like you're a wreck. Deep-rooted sense of shame and guilt. I can never be loved the way I actually deserve to be. But you need to hear these words from Romans 5, that while you were still in that state, Christ died for you. He died for you. Because he loves you. Your life is built upon the love of God. That is what you are standing on. And the gospel says it's free. And so you can release fear and pride as motivations to obey. Because you're freely loved by God. The last thing he tells us here is that the gospel says the grace of God is endless. You can receive as much as you need. Now here is what is just incredible to think about. As Paul is penning this introduction, he often says these words, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans 1, 7. But then he also closes the book by saying, the grace of the Lord be with you. So he begins by saying grace to you and then says grace be with you. But as you notice from verse 7, he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then what does he do? He begins to write the rest of his letter. In other words, it's, it's the grace that writes the words. In other words, grace comes through the words of Jesus. So as Paul says, grace to you, you read the words. And that in and of itself is the experience of God's grace. Which is why we can all receive a call to encounter God and experience him and his grace through his words. It's through the words that we can experience his grace. And man, you can never, ever, ever exhaust the Bible. There is always something there to pull out. There is also always something there to consider, to reflect on, to meditate on. It is so exhaustive. And so is his grace. It's endless. You can receive as much as you need. See, Ash and I, we have this kind of phrase that we use a lot now. And I didn't really realize what was going to happen in 2020, but apparently I bought a lot of islands. I know that sounds bizarre, but what I mean by that is uh, there's times where I'll be driving in the car and I'll look over at Ashley and I'll realize she's just kind of staring out the window. or just kind of looking real intently at like nothing. And then in my head, I'm like, oh, here we go. She is on her way to Death Island. We just purchased another island. And what I mean by that is that she, as a high Enneagram 6, will just kind of begin to prepare Prepare not just for the best, but prepare for the worst. And so she begins to play out these scenarios. And, and I'll say to her, Ash, are you, are you on a ferry right now to Death Island? And she'll kind of nod at me, yes. Like, well, where are we going today? What are you worried about? What, what's, what's got you so anxious and so quiet right now? And she, she'll play out the scenario. And I'll say, okay, what's on that island? What are you afraid of on that island? What kind of creatures are there? Dinosaurs are there? Trap doors? Lava? What is there on Death Island? And as we just acknowledge what it is, we, we take the ferry back home. We leave Death Island. We don't go there. And what we've realized is that what a source of rescue is from going to Death Island is Scripture. Going back to the Word of God. Going back to a place where we can experience grace and peace. Not anxiety. Not guilt. Not shame because we're not enough. Not, not guilt because we didn't do enough. But we made the same bad decision again. The words of Jesus can be a source of grace for us. Because I know many of you, too, you go to Death Island. You play out scenarios. 
Maybe even as you sit down and try to just read and, and talk to God, man, your mind just kind of drifts and you begin to play out the worst case thing. Whatever you got to deal with that day and you imagine it just goes to hell, you're going to Death Island. But what good news for us today that we can be rescued. We can take the ferry back and allow the words of Jesus to be an experience of God's grace for us. Free us of those moments. Remind us that there can be peace and not anxiety. The grace of the Lord be with you, he says there. The grace of the Lord be with you. Reading scripture, opening up this book, this massive rich book that millions have studied for thousands of years, the book of Romans can be the richest experience of grace you might ever have in your life. It's got the power to change you and we can be very different people by the end of it. And that's our hope because I want you to consider just for a moment, man, that it's not only my wife who goes to Death Island. I know it's not only you who go to Death Island at times. Jesus went to Death Island and his ferry boat didn't come back. And while he was there, he was willing to take upon himself the worst fears, the worst nightmares, all the worst case scenarios landed on the son of God while he was dying on the cross. And he died on Death Island to defeat them all, to extinguish them all. Your loss of light, your loss of life, your loss of love was all placed on him. He died on Death Island so that we would never have to go back. Death is not the end for us. Darkness is not the end for us. Disconnection is not the end for us. Love is, light is. Life is the good news of Jesus. Do you know the gospel that you are standing on today? Do you realize what you have? And if so, I wanna give some of you guys an opportunity as we pray to call out to God and to ask him to come in and change you. Maybe like Augustine, man, you've, you've, you've just been pursuing pleasure all your life. There's a new opportunity for you. Maybe like Luther, man, you, you've been so caught up in your own morality, your own goodness, your own sense of what you can be as a religious person. The gospel of Romans can change you. The book of Romans can change you. Let's do that now. Let's cry out to God. Let's ask him that he would do a work in us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for the good news of Jesus and we pray that you would use it to make us different people. God, help us to become more like him. And Lord, we confess our sin to you now. Maybe for the first time, God, would you lead some of us to repentance, to turning away from the old way of life and to begin a new relationship with you. Maybe for some of us, God, we need our faith reignited again. We need to see the beauty of the gospel again. Would you do that for us now, Holy Spirit? Open up the eyes of our hearts. Open up our, our, our minds and our souls to receive this gospel and to become different people as we realize what you have done for us and how much you love us. We pray these things all in Jesus' name, amen. I am so excited for this series. I pray that you are as well. You know, Pastor Fredo said that, that we can discover how to practically know the grace of Jesus. God wants you to know how to practically live this life. One of the number one ways to do that is by, is by reading the Bible. So many good habits start in the month of January. Reading the Bible regularly is one of those habits that will actually set you up for life. We want to make reading the Bible as easy as possible, so we created a study that goes along with this series right in the Sandals Church app. You can find that app at the App Store or by going to sandalschurch.com app. Come back here next week and every week to hear Pastor Matt as we go through the book of Romans. Let's start this year off right. Another great God-desired habit I pray you would consider is giving. If you don't regularly give, 
I'm asking you to consider starting a habit of giving this year. God even tells us in the book of Malachi that, that he will bless us, he will bless you when you give. I pray that this year you will try giving regularly if you already haven't. And for those of you who've already committed to giving this year, just like you did in 2020, thank you. Thank you so much for doing the same thing this year as you did last year so that so that so many can be transformed by Jesus every single day. We are grateful that you give. Right now, we want to continue our time in singing to the Lord. So let's do that right now.
right now and we thank you that you are the firm foundation that we're building our lives upon this year in Jesus name Amen come on church let's sing this song
Sandals Church, thank you so much for being here and thanks for being a part of this service today. We hope that you discover today and share this message with someone you know about the endless grace of Jesus. Come back next week and every week to hear Pastor Matt as we continue into our series, Win in Rome. We'll see you next week.